Good morning. Welcome. We're glad that you're here this morning and welcome you. It's uh, good to be in God's house with God's people today, and we hope that you'll be blessed in a very special way as we worship the Lord together. Uh, We welcome our guests especially. You're very important to us. We're glad that you're here and hope that you'll feel very much a part of our family as we worship the Lord. Just a few announcements I'd like to call to your attention. First of all, let me remind everyone that on the end of each row we have an attendance sheet in the little purple folders. We'd like to ask if you would to take those and to fill them out so we could have a record of your attendance with us. Put your name and address, phone number, and especially if you'd like to receive our email newsletter that comes out each week. Uh, put your email address on there. It's a good way to keep up with uh, what's going on here at Community Baptist Church. And then if you would, pass it on down the aisle so we could have a record of everyone's attendance. Uh, some other things that are going on. First of all, uh, I was just told that we will not be having a worship team meeting today. Uh, it is in the bulletin, but we're not going to be having a worship team today. But we will be having a missions team. Is that right, Mike? Missions team meeting today? Missions team meeting today at um, 3 o'clock. No, yeah, 3 o'clock. That's right. And uh, so if you're part of the missions team, we invite you to come and be a part of that. Yes, Mike. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, Then the missions team has been moved to 4. 4 o'clock for the mission team. Thank you, Mike. Uh, some other things that are uh, that are going on. Our youth will be involved with a lock-in tonight. They're going to be uh, meeting here at the church about 6:30 and uh, having snacks and pizza and the, all those things that youth do, and and just having a lot of fun all night long. Uh, tomorrow is a school holiday, so they won't be here. But uh, uh, let's keep our our prayers, uh, keep our youth in our prayers this evening. We will be having a, um, uh, a dawnings retreat that's coming up in March, March the 6th through 8th. It will be at Georgetown uh, College, and uh, this is a CBF-sponsored thing, a Cooperative Baptist Fellowship-sponsored event. And uh, we are lucky because they will pay for five rooms with two people in each room. And so I would like to encourage as many people as can to sign up and be a part of that if you would like to be a part of this um, this event, it's a it's a visioning retreat, and uh, Bo Prosser went through this with the staff at uh, CBF just this past weekend, and he uh, he put some some things out on Facebook about it. It sounds like it's a wonderful wonderful uh, process, and uh, so I hope that you'll uh, involve yourself with this. And if you would like to go, uh, please just let me know, and we'll get you on the list to go and. Uh, and I hope we'll have a good turnout for that. That's March the 6th through 8th. That's a Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Also on Wednesday, um, Meredith Proctor will be here, and we'll have the program on Wednesday. Meredith is, uh, uh, is preparing for a mission trip to Myanmar, and, uh, and she's raising funds by uh, selling artwork, original artwork. Uh, and a lot of the artwork has incorporated scripture passages in it. And so she's going to be here on Wednesday night to tell us about her upcoming trip to, to Myanmar and uh, probably offer some of this artwork for you to, uh, to purchase and to help her raise some, some money for, uh, for that event. I think it costs like $3,000, $3,500 to go. So that's a lot of art, unless it's really, really good. <laughs> and it is. I know it. there's a lot of creativity there. 
And one more thing. Some of you have been asking, well, when are we going to start volleyball again? When are we going to start volleyball again? Next week. Next week. Next Sunday night, we'll be uh, playing volleyball and eating pizza. Uh, I hope we play volleyball first and not. <laughs> uh, but come uh, t- next week at 6 o'clock, and uh, we have a great time. Great time. It's a lot of fun. Uh, you don't have to be good. I play. <laughs> and it's a, it, but it's a lot, a lot of fun. So come and join us tomorrow, um, next week at, at, on Sunday, and, uh, and we'll share that time together. It's great to be here with, with all of you folks, and uh, we welcome you. And uh, let's stand and let's greet each other in the name of the Lord. And we'd like you to remain standing for our praise hymn. I want you to take note that we have a brand new guitar player up here, Dr. Tim Hobbs. Give it up for Tim. And I'd like to welcome Randy Sugg. He's filling in today for Tim Hall. Tim had to be out of town, but my good buddy and next door neighbor and friend, Randy, is here and helped provide our music. So we're going to do an old standby, Open the Eyes of My Heart. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see. I want to see. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want. I want 
you are. Holy, 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 I want to see. And all God's people said. Please join me with a responsive reading. We believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, who comes to free the captives, heal the sick, and proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. We believe in a continually caring Christ, whose example encourages us to risk ourselves for the sake of the gospel. We believe in a continually caring community called the church, which is the physical presence of Christ in the world. We believe in continually committing our lives to freedom and justice and healing, sharing our belief that the God who created us, created us calls us still. Our scripture this morning comes from John, the first chapter, verses 29 through 42. I'll give you just a moment to turn in your e-reader or your physical Bible to that scripture. And just to tell you, our worship team is encouraging people to bring your Bibles to church or your electronic readers. The electronic reader that I use and recommend is the U version of the Bible. Our pastor chooses to read from the New International New Revised Standard Bible. The scripture is, The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with the water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, 
which translates and means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translates into the anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus and looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which translates to mean Peter. And may God bless the reading of his word this morning. Thank you. Come on, come on. I don't think we're going to get any. No music, no music. Good morning. Can y'all hear me, everybody? You know, from that scripture, it's a little. I, I read the scripture and I thought, well, his topic is sibling rivalry. So I'm not really sure where he's going to come from on this exactly, except I thought these were two words that we could work with today. First off, who is a sibling? What it to you? Who would a sibling be? Do you know? Hmm? A child, in a way, like, do any, who, anybody have a sister? Does anybody have a brother? That sister or brother is a sibling. Can you say that word? Sibling. All right? That's your sister or brother. Now, when we have, when rivalry, when we have a rival, rivals, like, when you have sports in school, you play each other's teams, you're rivals. You want to win, don't you? So, if you put rivalry with sibling, then it means your brothers and your sisters. Somebody wants to win. They want to win, don't they? They're at, there's things going on in your life that I'm better than you are kind of thing, right? That's what that sibling rivalry is going to be. Well, I, I made that a little personal because I have a sibling. I have one. I have a sister. And her name is Kay. She was always a year behind me in school. And so older sisters should always, you know, kind of be better than the younger. You know, you just kind of think that. Well, I was, I was reminded that doesn't always work because when I was in the sixth grade, she was in the fifth grade. We were at Old Jefferson School, and we had the school spelling bee. I represented my class, and she represented her class in the fifth grade. Mine sixth. She beat me. She beat me for the whole school. One, but you know what? Out of that, I became a really good speller. I, I, I like to spell now and everything, okay? The other thing is, we both took piano lessons. And I quit, and she kept playing. <laughs> so she beat me. But, you know, while she was doing that, I was learning skills like maybe cooking food that she never learned. So there's always a trade-off of whatever. So... Rivalry can be good. It can be bad if you overdo rivalries. But I think the important thing to remember, especially with my sister and with me, 
Our parents loved us equally. Whatever we were about, the good, whatever the strengths, the weaknesses, they loved us equally. Well, I think what Pastor Tim's going to bring out this morning is that the brothers in this story, one has a little more to offer than the other maybe, but you know what? Jesus loved them the same. And he loves us in that way. You, blonde hair, darker hair, pretty streaked hair, whatever. He loves us all the same. Let's have a little prayer, okay? Dear Lord, we're so thankful for these children that come. And we ask that you bless them and their lives with their siblings, with their families. And bring us all back together at other times with activities in our church. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.
Will you pray with me? Generous God, we like King David ask, what are we that you are mindful of us? What are we humans that you take care of us? And yet you do. Those of us in this room have roofs over our heads and food in our fridge and warm clothes in our closet. Many of us here fight with our weight because of our abundance. We gather stuff from our closets and are grateful for places where we can get rid of those things that we call junk. My goodness, God. Open our eyes to those who live in their cars, who spend their days trying to figure out how to eat, who find our trash to be a pile of treasures. Remind us that we have a duty to take care of your children so that all may have enough. Take our money, our time, our resources. God, take our lives for, for, for the fulfilling of your kingdom. Amen. beautiful. Thank you, Jika. There was a um, Catholic priest in a parochial school that who, who wanted to uh, point out the proper behavior for church. And so he asked the youngsters what rules their parents might give them before taking them to a nice restaurant, trying to make that connection there. And 
One young second grader said, don't play with your food. That's great. Another one said, don't be loud. And, and, and on it went like that. And then finally the priest asked one little boy, and what rules do your parents give to you before you go out to eat? And without batting an eye, the little boy replied, order something cheap. Well, if you've ever had children, you can probably relate to those parents. It's not easy being a parent. And, and one of the issues that has to be dealt with in many families is the issue of sibling rivalry. Uh, I read recently about a woman who came home from the hospital with her second baby, and she hired a, a live-in nurse named Annie to help her out for the first several weeks and worrying about how her 18-month-old daughter, Robin, would react to this new child, she, she looked for signs of jealousy and, or insecurity, but Robin didn't seem to have a problem at all. She seemed to adore her little sister right from the very beginning. She loved to help Annie feed the baby and bathe the baby, and she even offered to, to share her toys. Well, after several weeks, the mother decided that she could manage without the nurse, and as she watched Annie walk out to her car on that last day, she heard the unmistakable cry of distress. Annie, yelled Robin, running after the nurse, you forgot your baby. <laughs> or, you know, maybe it's easier for a child to adjust to a new baby in the family if she believes that that baby's not going to stay there forever. I heard about another family that... Um, offered a little different twist on the reality of sibling rivalry. Uh, Brian, who is the oldest of two brothers, said to his parents, I don't want a new baby. And Brian was adamant about this when his mother told him that they were expecting a little girl. Well, the family had already survived the, the first round of sibling rivalry when Brian's brother Damien was born. So mom and dad were, were kind of surprised when, Dam, when, when Brian was so adamant about this. They spent nearly an hour trying to convince him that a new baby would be a good thing. But three-year-old Brian stood firm. He didn't want a new baby in the house. And so finally, his mother confronted him with a straightforward question. Why don't you want a new baby? And with eyes wide and teary, Brian said, Because I like Damien and I want to keep him. Poor little Brian wasn't worried about being displaced by a new little sister. He was afraid that they would have to trade in his little brother for a little girl. Well, the Bible tells us about many sets of siblings. If you read through the Bible, they're all over the place. From the very beginning, there's Cain and Abel. There's Isaac and Ishmael. There's Jacob and Esau. There's Joseph and his brothers and Jesus and his brothers and James and John, the sons of Zebedee and, and Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And some of these sibling relationships turned out great, but, but most of them, well, most of them turned out not so great. Some of them had their rocky patches, but, but in the end, they turned out okay. But listen to this. In almost all of these relationships, one of the siblings became more prominent than the other. And that was certainly the case for the two brothers in our lesson for today. We are told that John was there with two of his disciples, and when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, 
there goes the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him saying this, they followed after Jesus. And when Jesus saw them following, he asked, what do you want? And they said, teacher, where are you staying? He said, come and see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. Now, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of those who heard that John, what John had said about Jesus and followed after Jesus. And the first thing that Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at Andrew's brother and said, you are Simon, son of John. From now on, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter or the rock. And so we are introduced to these two brothers. Andrew and Peter. Andrew was the first disciple that Jesus called. But for the rest of the New Testament, Andrew is overshadowed by his brother Peter. And I think it's interesting that before Andrew was a disciple of Jesus, he was a a disciple of John the Baptist. And this just goes to show you how important John was in the New Testament. You see, John had disciples People who followed him, people who studied under him, just like Jesus did. And, and I know that we usually put the emphasis on how weird John was, and he was a little weird, especially by our standards today. I mean, he, his diet consisted of locusts and wild honey, and he wore these camel hair skins, and, and he lived out in the desert, and, and uh, he was, his, his image was that of kind of a wild man, but... But John was regarded by a lot of people to be a prophet. You might remember how we are told that the people went out to him from Jerusalem and all of Judea and all the region around the Jordan. But just like Andrew, John's destiny was to live in the shadow of another. In this case, it was his cousin, Jesus. In fact, John's main purpose, his main role in life was to point the way to one who was greater than himself. And so one day when Andrew was nearby, John spotted Jesus and he said, look, there goes the Lamb of God. And Andrew made a decision right then and there to follow Jesus. Now, I'm sure that Andrew appreciated John and all that he had done for him, but but he needed more. And and that happens sometimes. It kind of reminds me of a little book that was written years ago by a, a, a great man and one of the funniest men that I have ever met in my life. His name was Grady Nutt. And the book was titled The Gospel According to Norton. The Gospel According to Norton. I was looking for it. I have it. I, I couldn't find it the other day, but it's somewhere in my stack of books. The Gospel According to Norton is a funny little book, and it's a touching little book about a fictional character, a young man named Norton, who, like Andrew, was a disciple of John the Baptist. Well, the first time Norton met John, he was struck by John's appearance. Here's how he describes John the Baptist, how Norton describes John the Baptist. He said he was wearing a double-breasted camel hair suit, wrong side out. Had platform high-top sandals, teased hair, and the works. 
Norton says the first, that first night by the river was the beginning of a deep friendship. In only four days, I was arriving early enough so that I could get a front rock. In short, I became an ardent follower. He was my hero. Great dresser. Unique, distinctive, outspoken, honest. I tried more and more to be like him. Until one afternoon, Norton was with John and when John, the, when John baptized Jesus. And Norton was amazed by John's attitude towards Jesus. He was amazed at the strange statements he made. Things like, you should baptize me. Things like, I'm not worthy to tie your shoes. And he was amazed at John's sense of awe in the presence of Jesus. And later, Norton heard that Jesus had a, had a group of disciples following him on up the river, further up the river. And so one night he went to scout out this new teacher and his followers. And the first time he heard Jesus teach, it happened. He was the Messiah. The one that John had been preaching about. And in just three visits, Norton said he transferred his membership. And like Andrew, he left John the Baptist and became a follower of Jesus. Well, one day Jesus asked Norton if he had seen John lately, and Norton kind of chuckled a little bit, thinking about his crude, bombastic former teacher. And, and then Jesus frowned. And Jesus asked Norton why he had chuckled, and, Jordan, and Norton said, Oh, John's still wearing that double-breasted camel hair suit and preaching blisters on his throat. And then he added a few other sarcastic comments. And at this, a disappointed Jesus looked at Norton and said, Norton, do you know where you would be if it had not been for John? And Norton blushed and squirmed a little, dropped his eyes and said, still snitching fruit and hanging out at the market, I suppose. And Jesus said, exactly. At that point, Norton says, Jesus taught him one of the greatest lessons of his life. That young idealists frequently find their Messiah and then spend their time belittling his forerunner. Now, at the time Grady wrote this book, he was on the staff at Southern Seminary in Louisville. And, uh, in fact, Norton was named after the administration, administration building at Southern but Grady saw a lot of young seminarians come to that school where they were learning a more progressive view of the Christian faith than they had grown up with. And the first thing that a lot of them did was to belittle and to ridicule the, the conservative, fundamentalist, narrow-mindedness out of which they came. And so, in the person of Norton, Grady was saying to these young students, remember where you came from. Remember where you came from. Would you be where you are today without that background? And I make this point because many of us have come out of similar backgrounds, backgrounds where you experience more legalism than love or more judgment than grace. And, and gratefully, you say that you can never go back there, and I couldn't either. And yet here you are. You are here, you are faithful, and you are supportive and it just may be that some of what we learned back then is bearing fruit today. 
So let's not be too critical of those who follow a different path. Yeah, John had his faults. He was a little weird, and, and I, you know, it wouldn't be my cup of tea. But you know what? He pointed people to Jesus. And that, of course, is what Andrew did as well. Andrew was not one of the more prominent disciples. He is better known in the New Testament simply as Simon's brother. Simon was the rock star. Andrew was the roadie. <laughs> Some of you probably have had siblings like that. The, the football star, maybe, the homecoming queen, the teacher's pet, the genius. And, and, and Andrew always seemed to be in Peter's shadow. Peter was a part of Jesus' inner circle. Whenever, whenever Jesus took just a few of his disciples along with him, Peter was a part of that group. Usually uh, Peter and James and John were kind of the inner circle of, of Jesus' disciples. So Peter was a part of that inner circle. Andrew was not. Peter was there every time something significant happened in Jesus' ministry. It was Peter who tried to walk on the water. And it was Peter to whom Jesus gave the name the rock. And Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. And Andrew may have been there for some of those experiences, but, but he's rarely mentioned. In fact, he's only mentioned by name, 12 times in all of, the, all of the New Testament. And eight of those times he's referred to as Simon Peter's brother. So yes, it seems that Andrew stood in Peter's shadow. But listen to this. Andrew had one very important gift that we know of. And here it is. He introduced people to Jesus. He introduced people to Jesus. In fact, it was Andrew who brought his brother Peter to Jesus. John tells us that the first thing Andrew did after he began following Jesus was to find his brother Simon and to tell him, we have found the Messiah. And then the scripture says, he brought him to Jesus. You know, that would be a great epitaph for Andrew's tombstone. He brought his brother to Jesus. That would be a great epitaph for any of us. He or she brought a friend to Jesus. It's kind of like the, the epitaph that should have been on John the Baptist's tombstone. He pointed others to Jesus. What greater compliment can you pay to someone than that? She cared enough to share her faith with a friend. Now, I know that some of you are not all that comfortable bringing people to Jesus. But let me tell you something. It is a fact of church life that most people who come to church do so because a friend invited them. And yet, very few church members ever invite a friend to church. Don't you think that's ironic? You know, if we did invite more people to church, to come to church, the church would be packed every Sunday. That's what the studies show. And yet, we hesitate. And I know that some of you are more comfortable about witnessing for Christ through your actions than you are your words. And I understand that. 
It's a, it's a lot better than those who witness for Christ with their words, and they, then they live such shoddy lives that their witness is worth nothing. But folks, as you leave this house of worship today, I want to ask, I want to ask you to do something. I want you to ask yourself, or even better, prayerfully ask God if there's something that you can do to bring someone else or to point someone else to Jesus. You might do that by being a good neighbor. You might do that by talking in depth with a family member about their faith. Do it in in a loving way. You're not called to be a salesperson for Jesus You're just called to listen carefully and to answer honestly based on your own walk with the Master. And here's the most important truth that you and I can get from today's lesson. You don't have to be a superstar in order to impact the world. The fact is that most people are not superstars, you know. Most of us are not superstars. But that doesn't mean that you can't make a significant contribution to the kingdom of God. You remember that beautiful old spiritual, there is a balm in Gilead. I think that psalm speaks to the the Andrew in each of us. It begins by saying, sometimes I feel discouraged and think my work is in vain. But then the Holy Spirit revives my soul again. There is a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. But it's the second verse that I really love and I think particularly speaks to our topic for today. Because it says, if you cannot preach like Peter, if you cannot pray like Paul, you can tell the love of Jesus and say, He died for all. There's a balm in Gilead that makes the wounded whole. There is a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. My friends, all evidence points to the fact that Andrew couldn't preach like his brother Peter. Nor could he pray like the Apostle Paul. But he could tell of the love of Jesus and say, He died for all. And you know what? So can you. Amen. We have come to that portion of our service where we will observe the uh, ordinance of communion. And we invite all to participate. All are welcome at the communion table today. I never have seen Jesus turning anyone away from, from his table. He, uh, he fellowshiped with everyone, and we are the same way. We invite all to participate in our Lord's Supper today. And, we, and if we, our deacons can come forward and uh, be getting ready for our communion, I'd like to ask you to do that. Uh, we have the cup, the chalice, and the bread here. And uh, the way we will do this is beginning in the back rows. We'll come down the middle aisle, and there will be a deacon on, or myself on each side, uh, one with 
a piece of bread and the other with a cup. And if you would take a piece of bread and then move to the cup and dip it into the bread and then to return to your seat along the outside. Uh, We also have the deacons who will be um, uh, walking into the um, into the congregation with uh, bread and juice uh, for the Lord's Supper in case there's someone who is not able to come forward or if you would prefer to have the traditional method of the Lord's Supper, then you can just remain at your seat and uh, you, you will be de- uh, served there if you would like uh, by a deacon who is coming there. You know, Jesus called, I mean, John called Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And this was a reference to the sacrificial lamb on the Day of Atonement, uh, the lamb whose life was given to cover the sins of Israel. Um, And John compared Jesus to that lamb. And indeed, in Jesus, that sacrifice was made once and for all. And so as we take communion today, it's my prayer for all of us that, that we, like John, will recognize Jesus as the Lamb of God whose sacrifice takes away the sins of the world. And let us commit ourselves as we take the bread and the cup to share that good news with the people that we know and love. Let us remember who Jesus is and let us share the love of Christ with others. Betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and after giving thanks, he said, This is my body which is given for you. And in the same way, also after supper, he took the cup, and he said, This is the blood of a new covenant. A new covenant. This is something totally new that I've done for you. He said, Take this bread and eat this bread in remembrance of me. Take this cup and drink this cup in remembrance of me, in remembrance of the body that was broken, in remembrance of the blood that was shed. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Would you come and recognize the Lamb of God? Come and share. And the Lord's Supper.
The sacrificial lamb walks among us. And we celebrate that today. Celebrate the spirit of Christ that lives within each of us. We celebrate the fact that God loves us more than anything else in the world. Otherwise, why would God send a son? And why would that son die a cruel death for us? That's what it's all about. Paul was right when he told us that this is a demonstration of God's love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is a visual, experiential example, reminder of the death of Christ. And I hope you will remember that that's how much God loves you. Let us sing together our closing hymn. And I don't have it in front of me, so I don't know what it is or what number it is, but you got it. We will sing our closing hymn together and let us stand as we do so. we have gathered to worship you, the one who gives us a new song and who plants our feet on a firm place. We put our trust in you. Continue to challenge us as we accept the revelation of yourself through Jesus Christ. Empower us, O God, through your Holy Spirit to give witness every day of our relationship with you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.